You're listening to the official South Bay Church podcast. For more about us, please visit southbaychurch.us. Good morning, South Bay Church. Want to uh, take this opportunity to welcome you all here this morning. Uh, also, a uh, couple of brief announcements here on the front side. Um, I think most of you know Ruben Cordova, and uh, maybe not as many know Christy Porter, but as of yesterday, they are an engaged couple. Amen. And uh, as you look around this morning, you may see some faces over the last few weeks that uh, you may not recognize. Uh, we do have a number of amazing brothers and sisters from the metro region that are looking at transitioning on into South Bay. Most of them live within a very close distance of here, but let's welcome them. And if you guys want to give a wave out so people know who you are, it's great having you guys here this morning as well. Definitely after months of not meeting together in person, uh, I love the fact that we're coming back together. I, I was a little surprised to see quite as many of you today as we are seeing and that I uh, got a couple texts, you know, hey, it's drizzling, or, you know, California rain, I guess, is drizzle, right? Um, so for those of you that, you know, maybe live a little bit further out and the weather was a little bit different than what we're dealing with here, we welcome you at home as well, especially uh, any guests that are visiting with us here today. I can't tell you how much I have missed this, yet when we think about what's going on in the world today, for me, it's still a very somber time as we consider the disunity and division that's plaguing this nation. You know, this morning as we turn to God's Word, we're going to consider how God intends to use His church in the presence of His world as a means of revealing His character and the power of the gospel and for all the purpose of winning as many souls as possible to Him. Amen? You know, I really appreciate Brian's recommendation on uh, reading Romans backwards. But, you know, before I, before I tag that, I did want to mention, uh, most of you, well, many of you know I've been involved with uh, Steve Staten for years with conflict resolution and swerging through different situations that we have within the region, outside of the region. Uh, I, I think I'm a little bit of a glutton for punishment because I just completed another 15 hours of training for the ICOC Peacemakers Program. Uh, it's a global task force that we're putting together, people from all over the place with a common vernacular, a common means and approach to just helping, you know, when we have family, sometimes there can be conflict. Conflict. We know that in our biological families or adoptive families, whatever we're dealing with, sometimes there's conflict, right? And I, Jackie just said I needed to make sure that our youth ministry gets into, Gina, where are you at? Okay, so you can see her jumping, I can't, but... If you're in the youth ministry, please go join Gina. But again, I appreciate Ryan's recommendation on reading the Romans backwards. And I wanted to start out this morning by reading an excerpt from the book that I personally appreciated when it came to Arthur Scott McKnight's perspective. McKnight says, For decades I've read and listened to scholars and heard preachers on Romans 1-8. through and one would think after listening or reading that those, many chapter, those meaty chapters were written for a theological lectureship rather than to a local church or a set of house churches in Rome in the century when Nero was emperor and Paul was planning his future mission to Spain. One would think the listeners were theological savants geared up for the latest theory of atonement or sorterology. Now, many of you know I have a relatively extensive vocabulary 
I do have to admit publicly, I had absolutely no clue what sorterology is. So uh, I think you it may be up on the screen. You can see it on the screen. Just short definition is, is it up there? Okay, well, you can read it. I, I don't want to spend the time on it this morning. But uh, just really two words, doctrine of salvation is what we're dealing with. Ultimately, these so-called experts, this is me speaking now, make it way more convoluted than it really is. Rather than a letter that was written and presented to Christian brothers and sisters in house churches in Rome to help them understand the significance and the power that is accompanied by unity and the family of believers living out their Christianity. That, that's the simplest terminology that really describes that entire book, and we're going to take a look at that this morning as we move forward. You know, what this shows me is how many people miss the point of Romans. To me, Paul simply is talking about the ups and downs of family. Ultimately, it's family, our church, our faith family, if we listen to Christ's teachings and imitate Christ's way of life, there's this amazing degree of strength there. There's purpose there. And that with those things, others will see for themselves that there's something they're missing when it comes to this life and the things that we deal with today. And that thing that's missing for most people today, this thing that conquers everything, is quite simply a four-letter word. The word love. For those of you chuckling, I, I don't even want to ask where you went with that, but anyway. <laughs> title of my message this morning is The Law of Love. We're going to be starting out in Romans 12, verse 9 through 21. You know, at first read, these verses may appear to be a long list of commands, but there's a progression here that Paul walks us through. Paul begins with a focus on relationships with the church, and then he moves outside of the realm of the church to include our relationships with those outside the church. And during this time in particular, it was opponents to the church. You know, all around us, people are searching for purpose, something bigger than themselves. They're looking for peace. They're looking for justice. They're looking for hope. They're looking for love. And I'm not going to go to that country western song that some of you have already got going on in your mind. But while we're called to proclaim the gospel with our lips, we must also recognize the significance, the importance of our transformed lives that join together we're designed by God to announce to the world the kind of hope that He offers through His Son, Jesus Christ. We must speak the gospel, which we know, but I think for me the thing is the most significant thing, and hopefully this is a, a, a mindset, a culture, a character issue that we can all embrace, but most importantly for me, and hopefully for us, is that we have the opportunity and we are called to live life in a way that makes the power of the gospel visible to a watching world. For those of you that profess Christianity, do you feel sometimes that you're under a microscope? Do you feel like if you step a little out of line that there are people that are going to call you on it? And I, you know, I've, I've worked as many years in the secular world as I have in the kingdom as a minister, and it's amazing the standard that non-Christians have for proclaimed Christians. That's why it's so incredibly important that we understand the thing that makes the power of the gospel impactful is that we are on a stage where we are visible and the world is watching. And this is the kind of life that Paul describes here in Romans 12, verse 9. And we'll get there in just a minute. In Romans 1 through 11, Paul provides a full explanation of the gospel. And I mean, 
Those chapters are absolutely mind-blowing with the depth of things that they cover. You know, I think of Romans 3 or Romans 6. You know, just the whole breakdown of how we come into a, a relationship with Christ. The struggle that Paul himself had when we look at Romans 7 and 8. You know, this idea of wanting to do the good that I want to do, but I don't. Just the challenges that we have in this life. So he walks through all those things, and as Brian had stated, it all comes to a head. It's summarized in those last few chapters in Romans. In Romans 12, after explaining how salvation is accomplished and how it's applied, there's this foundation that Paul lands on and lays out in Romans 12, and he begins to explain in very practical ways the way those who have been changed by the gospel should ultimately live. You know, as we consider our context, it's worth noting that the original recipients of Paul's letters, again, these guys were facing, these brothers and sisters were facing their own challenges. They were navigating racial and religious divides, which Brian talked about last week, regarding the weak, which are the Jews that had converted to Christianity, but were still being governed and holding on to the Torah, the laws that God had established. And then the, the conflict that they had with the Gentiles, who were... You know, I, I, I don't know if I tagged it or not, but he talked about the Jews being judgmental of the Gentile brothers and sisters. And they had the Gentile brothers and sisters who had all this wealth and power and association. They were connected in this pagan world, but they had been pulled out of it when they saw the significance of Christ and the application of their lives. But with the freedom they received as becoming Christians, they looked at the, the, their Jewish brothers and sisters with contempt for all the things that they hung on to. And then with all that within the church, they were living under a governmental regime that was increasingly hostile towards them and burdened them with exorbitant taxes. <laughs> I've got that written in here. Hmm, sound familiar? <laughs> I mean, you know, I'm, I'm not going to go down that road. But anyway, obviously, as, as uh, Solomon says, there's nothing new under the sun. And it's amazing what our brothers and sisters, again, in those early years in the church were willing to endure. But one of the things that Paul really goes after is our love for one another must be genuine without hypocrisy. And he tags this in verse 9. He says, love must be sincere, hate what is evil, cling to what is good. You know, the only, thing, the only challenge I had with this book, and, and obviously going through Romans, is there is so much material. You can do a sermon on just these things right here. Love must be sincere, point number one. Hate what is evil, point number two. Cling to what is good, point number three, right? And that's the depth of what we have. The gospel's made visible ultimately through our sincere love for one another. How we are seen <clears throat> as Christians hinges in that love that we have for one another. Love appears in the uh, NIV Bible 551 times. In the NLT, it's 860-something times. The word love is first mentioned, though, for us in the book of Genesis, chapter 22, in verse 2. And Andy, had, Andy and I had the opportunity yesterday to talk about a Bema broadcast he'd been listening to. They kind of broke this whole thing down. Uh, we may end up hearing from him at some point uh, down the road. But it's an amazing breakdown on Abraham. And, well, I'll just, I'll just read you this verse in uh, tw uh, chapter 2, or 22, verse 2. The Bible verse here states that God said to Abraham, take your son, your only son whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on a mountain that I will show you. You know, the, the, the thing that's amazing about this, again, is the, the whole component of faith and 
what God wants for our lives, but it's amazing to me that what God expects, God, not only does he not expect us to do things he wouldn't, he demonstrates it for us. And that's how significant our walk needs to be demonstrated to others. And uh, we know that in John 3, 16, it says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Sacrifice him. God. When we look at this passage in Genesis, this was a foreshadowing of the emotional love, the struggle, the pain, and the anguish of God sending his only begotten Son to die for each and every one of us so that we would have the opportunity to have a relationship with him. Back to Romans 12. In the first phrase of verse 9, it contains a primary verb. And while the commands that follow are all supporting verbs, the primary command here is that we are to love one another without hypocrisy, with sincere and genuine love. You know, the list of commands that follows this helps us understand what it means to live out this kind of love. Jesus constantly talked about the significance of this. Most of us know John 13, 34, 35, on our, we don't even need to turn to the Bible. You know, you guys can probably say along with me, you don't need to, but a new command I give you. Love one another as I have loved you. So you must love one another. Why? So people will know that we are his disciples. That's how significant this love is. And again, it's a theme that's played out over and over and over again in the scriptures. Our love's got to be discerning and move us to action. We see that in verse, uh, the second half of the verse. Hate what is evil, cling to what is good. You know, and it's commonly said, we, we hear this all the time, right? Love is blind. I don't know who came up with that, but I, I don't know. I can think of any number of situations. That's one that we could have all kinds of debates over, right? But genuine love, and this is what God talks about. He breaks it down. It's got to be genuine love, and it's got to take notice of those around us, and we need to take action. Genuine love is unconditional without expectation, especially without expectation of reciprocation. If we're to rightly love one another in our world, we must hate what God hates and love what God loves. And in both cases, we've got to speak the truth and love to those around us. In doing so, we show the character of God and the power of the gospel. Not just words, but we're showing it. We're demonstrating it. Jesus defines love as forgiveness, mercy, truth, sacrifice. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Romans 5, verse 8. You know, and this is the calling of disciples. We strive to live out God's ability to sacrifice for others, to forgive, to show mercy, to give truth that leads to holiness. And when we love God, others and ourselves the way God loves us, we fulfill his objective of love. Again, I, I'm going I'm to hit this probably in every sermon, if not every sermon I preach, Matthew 22, 37 through 39. Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment, and the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. You know, we see this woven throughout Paul's letters. We see it woven throughout his epistles. I mean, this theme plays out multiple times to the different churches that he addressed. Our love for one another must be loyal and selfless. Verse 10 says, Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Honor one another above yourselves. You know, this is the thing I love about the church. 
One of the most beautiful things about the church is when God calls us together, he doesn't call us based on how similar we are. Amen. We come from different backgrounds. We have different experiences. We have different families of origins, talents, and abilities. You know, you think about it. How many of you came into the church in your teens? There's a few of you out there. How many came into the church in your 20s? How many came into the church in your 30s? 40s? 50s? 60s? We have any takers? 70s? 80s? Jay, how old was your mom when she became a Christian? Yeah, she was in her 70s. She led one of the fastest growing Bible talks we had in the East region. I mean, it was absolutely amazing. We couldn't even tell her she was a Bible talk leader, though, because the terminology would stress her out. So we just say, you know, Mom, we need you to take care of these women. And she was good with that. Mom, we need you to come to the leaders' meetings just so that, you know, you're part of that mix. But it was amazing. And, and just that in and of itself, guys, if there was no color, if there was no gender, if there weren't any of these other things, how different is each person's experience just based on your point of entry into the kingdom? So there's going to be stuff. We are joined together in the family of God, and we are called to love one another's family with brotherly, familial affection. Our love should be accompanied by honor for each member of God's family. The ones that are easy to love, and the ones that might be a little bit harder to love. Those we have everything in common with, and those we have literally nothing in common with. Continue, or actually backing up a few verses in Romans 12, verse 3 says, for the grace given to me, I say to every one of you, do not think more highly of yourself than you ought. But rather, think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the measure of faith God has given you. Just as each of us has one body with many members, and again, how many times have we heard Paul talk about this in other places in the epistles? But just as each one of you has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we who are many form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts, according to the grace given us. If a man's gift is prophesying, let him use it in proportion to his faith. If it is serving, let him serve. If it is teaching, let him teach. If it's encouraging, let him encourage. If it's contributing to the needs of others, let him give generously. If it is leadership, let him govern diligently. If it's showing mercy, let him do it cheerfully. And you know, just based on things in general, as I'm reading through this passage, I was a little surprised that it doesn't say anything about the gift of opinion. Any of you guys see that in there anywhere? Does it say anything about the gift of opinion? Me either. We have... 771 members. <laughs> hey man, I'm just going to leave it alone. There's over, we have 771 members in the coastal LA region. Now, if each of you were entitled to just one opinion, which honestly I'd probably be grateful for, but if each of you were entitled to just one opinion, that's 771 different opinions. Now, you can do the math. Verse 3 says, Do not think of yourselves more highly than you ought, but rather you think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the measure of faith God has given you. Verse 10, if you go back a little bit, says, Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Honor one another above yourself. 
So if we've got any mathematicians in the group or philosophers in the group, if you were to just take those couple verses and put them together, there are 770 people you need to honor above yourself. We have a few people these last few months that have left because of a lack of understanding of this scripture. And we probably have a few more people that need to leave because of a lack of understanding of the scripture and the gratitude for the way Jesus applied these scriptures to himself. And we have to be careful, and I include myself with this. As we've seen in the last few weeks, there was conflict in the early church. Again, you know, as I talked about earlier, the weak versus the strong, the Torah keepers versus the Gentiles. This is an area that we can be deceived in more often than not, especially when it comes to, for me, my own family. I can be inherently selfish. And ultimately, that leads to strife in my family. I may, uh, some of you know, I can have strong opinions on time, from time to time. For those of you who know, know Jacqueline, she can have strong opinions from time to time. But if I feel the need to assert myself over her or think that my opinion is more significant than her, I've already stepped in it. And it usually doesn't go anywhere good. I look, at, I look at the uh, raising my children through the years. Andy and I had a great conversation about this, too. I think there's some things that I may need to go back and apologize to my kids for. And I've apologized to them many times through the years for oversteps, uh, enforcement of maybe my perspective or my opinion. And there, there's, I want you to understand, there's a time for that with our children. But when they get into the teenage years, there's a lot more conversation that needs to take place and a lot less tells that need to take place. And I've got to own that. You know, when I, uh, just the last few months, I think this is an area where our church family, all of us, need to grow. We can and need to grow. I've spent more time in the last 16 months resolving issues involving members versus members than any other issue as an evangelist. This has been 10 times the amount of time I've spent strategizing for all of the church preparing sermons, studying the Bible though, with those who would like to be Christians. I think that's the thing that probably bothers me the most. It takes me away from people that have a genuine interest in making Jesus Christ Lord of their lives. And this is also cut into the time I would much rather spend with people that love me and are willing to just be my friend without an agenda, as well as those who want to adopt the Christian lifestyle as their purpose. So again, this is an area that we need to grow in we can grow in it, and we need to grow in it. Next on the list here, verse 11, it says, Our love for one another must be earnest and passionate. It says, Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Now, what does this look like? That love, zeal, and service for the Lord will look like everybody using their diverse gifts and talents that Paul talked about to serve one another in the church. And as we consider all that God has called us to, or as life becomes more challenging, you know, the bottom line is we can grow weary or complacent, but we must be faithful. We must not grow lazy, lukewarm, or allow our passion to diminish. And, you know, I, I'll be real. I understand COVID is responsible for some of the dimness of our reflection of Christ. But there is a personal responsibility that we must take for our own spirituality. Philippians 2. Paul describes Jesus. It's humble. 
We know he was seated at the right hand of the Father. But he came down, not as a king, but as what? He came down as a slave. That's what it says in the Greek. Came down with no expectation other than the fact that he was going to serve each and every one of us into the kingdom. He was humble. But at one point in time, every knee will bow to Christ. And this is an area that we need to be careful with. In verse 12, it says, Therefore, my dear friends, have you always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to act according to your own good purpose. Your own good purpose? No, his good purpose. His good purpose. Then it goes on. Do everything. Now, what does everything mean? Wow. Kind of a novel concept. Everything means everything. Do everything without complaining or arguing. So that not only with this, there's a reason for that. Verse 15 says, so that you may become blameless and pure children of God without fault in this crooked generation. And the outcome of that is if we're living in accordance with what God establishes, it's amazing. If we do those things, you will shine like stars in the universe. And one of the things that I love most about dusk is when you see those first few stars. Usually it's planets, okay? I mean, let's, let's get real. Mars, Venus, they're usually the first thing you see. But looking up, and does it not grab your attention? I know it grabs mine. How many of you have ever gotten out of the city and looked at the sky? It is absolutely mind-blowing. We were out near Lake Kachuma years ago. They have this road called Stagecoach Road that kind of drops down in the middle of nowhere. And they have this cool little, uh, used to be a Pony Express station. You know, you can eat things like rabbit medallion or rattlesnake medallions or, you know, they, they have a rather interesting uh, food choices there. But I remember driving back at night, and we pulled over. My daughter got out of the car and looked up, and she was overwhelmed. She was little. It literally freaked her out. I mean, there were so many stars. I mean, the Milky Way, you just see this lights. I mean, a band of lights in the sky. And that's who we can be in this lost world if we're willing to live in accordance with what Paul establishes here. Verse 16, again, you can shine like stars in the universe as you do what? Hold out the word of life. Hold out the word of life. Not your perspective on COVID or mask or politics or race or guns or vaccines or end times or anything else. You want to be blameless and pure? Don't hold out your word. Hold out the word of life. Last week, I'm going to ask this. This is rhetorical. Can anybody tell me why I wanted to assure Brian last week of the end of service how much I loved him? Can anybody? Yeah, well, Jack can because we've discussed it. Now, the whole other question is why he tried to duck out when I went to give him a holy kiss, but, uh, yeah, you know, that's where, leave it to Andy. That's what I love about this guy. He's an amazing elder. Did you ask him? <laughs> I thought maybe you slipped him and, hey, do you, can I give you a holy kiss? 
Anyway, yeah, you're probably right. Maybe I should have asked. But the reason that I asked Brian, or assured Brian last week at the end of service how much I loved him, Brian was hurting. Because outside of Jacqueline, Dessa, myself, and their kids, no one knows how hard he works and how much he pours himself out and how emotionally, physically, spiritually draining this job is. He asked for additional volunteers last week to help with the immensity of the task of setting all this up for all of you last week. Do you know how many people came forward to let him know they would commit to helping? Let's go ahead and raise your hands, those of you that volunteered. You're already in that mix, bro, but thank you. That's concerning to me. We're better than this. We are way better than this. And I don't want to negate all the rest of you that do volunteer and the things that you do as Bible talk leaders, worship team, all the other stuff that's going on. But there is such a lot. I mean, we shouldn't be applying the 2080 rule to the church, okay? Just saying. Paul's talking about everybody using their gifts, everybody using their talents. God's calling is significant, and we should serve him with eagerness and with all of our hearts. Galatians 6, verse 9 says, Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we'll reap a harvest if we do not give up. I really want to commend Brian. I want to really commend all of our staff. It's been a wearisome months. You know, we, we talk some stuff from time to time. But I'm so proud of every single one of them. The Ezaniques, the Deandas, the Politos, our young ladies we've got here that have decided to get into this mix. Janae, Megan. I mean, there's so many that I am proud of. They've all had their challenges, and they've all, you know, they felt weary, but they have not been willing to give up. And then with that, in verse 10, it says, therefore, guess what happens? We have the opportunity. Let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. Especially who? Everybody right here. Why? Because we're God's family. We're bound to one another by the blood of Christ. We're bought through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross. We are not our own. We are God's and one another's. You know, one love for one another is shown as we maintain a godly perspective. Verse 12, it says, be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. You know, the bottom line is Paul knew suffering and persecution well, right? And he knew he wasn't the only one that was going to go through it. But he was faithful. He went after it. He knew that God was always at work in his circumstances. Paul exemplified joy and endurance and calls all believers to the same exact thing. Some of us just need to be quit, quit being so crabby and just start becoming joyful in Christ, joyful in hope. Amen? Amen? We need to really take a hard look at this, guys. 
We may be tempted to look at our world with disdain, disdain, judgment, and contempt. And I've been there on occasions, and I got people to check me when I start getting squirrely, and I'm grateful. But some of you are tempted to look at your brothers and sisters that way. Just because they may think different than you, they look different than you, they vote different than you, doesn't give you the right to try and enforce your perspective on them in those areas. It's an insult to your Father in heaven, and it needs to stop. We must remember the hope of the gospel and the embrace of the call to endure what Paul has covered. In Romans 5, 1 through 5, it says, Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access, access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also rejoice in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character, hope. And hope does not disappoint us because God has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit whom he has given us. But finally, our love for one another must be generous and tangible. Verse 13. Verse 13 says, share with God's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. You know, this is one area of my life that gives me a lot of joy. There's not a greater joy for me than having people over to our house for a meal. You know, we got the brothers and sisters of the Metro coming over here within the next week or so. I'm so grateful we've been able to start doing that again, that we're opening it up and we can have people out. And South Bay Church has ultimately been a church that understood this. The four F's. Can anybody tell me? Not the four H, but the four F's. Can anyone tell me what those are? Faith, family, food, fellowship. There's probably a few other ones you could throw in there. Fun. I know one, one year Karina designated, I think it was uh, 2018, the year of the party. You know, there, there's, a, there's a reason to get together and celebrate our oneness in Christ. Let's get back to practicing hospitality again, which is literally having strangers into our homes. Let's give them the opportunity to see the embodiment of Christ, true family. And then in verse 14 through 16, it says, Bless those who persecute you. That's a hard one. That, that was probably one of the hardest ones in there. Bless those who persecute you. Bless, and then he takes it, he ups the ante here. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Did I just lose the speaker? Okay, well, I'll just take it up a notch. Let me know. Give me a high sign so I don't blow people out. But as we live out the good news of the gospel, really understanding what's going on here. doesn't really seem to be a whole lot of close connection to everything in this passage, but they're all rooted in selflessness or self-denial. We can bless our persecutors and not curse them if we're more concerned about their eternal welfare than we are about our suffering, right? Okay, my wife wants me to repeat it, so 
My battery go dead? Yeah, I think so. I'll just put that in my pocket. <clears throat> okay, so we can only bless our persecutors and not curse them if we're more concerned about their eternal welfare rather than our suffering. We can rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep if our focus is off ourselves and on others and their situations. We can only be of the same mind with one another and not be haughty, wise in our own estimation if our eyes are on the Lord and others, not ourselves. Selflessness is the thread that ties all three verses together. Selfishness is a threat to that blessing, the blessing of being able to lovingly connect with one another. So as we live out the good news of the gospel within our community of faith, we have a great opportunity to display the character of God and show our world the example of the love of Christ. We must recognize that the living church, the living, or that living for Christ means being willing to give up what we have to those in need. The church is to be the appearance of the gospel whose overriding perspective is love. So this is what the gospel looks like when it's played out in our everyday lives. This next one's going to be on the screen here in a second. Take away the church, the body of Christ, Christ's family, and you take away the visible manifestation of the gospel in the world. Take away the church, the body of Christ, Christ's family, and you take away the visible manifestation of the gospel in the world. Now, what I put before you today, one of the reasons that Christianity is on a decline is because this doesn't exist in the lives of everyone that claims to be Christians. But it needs to exist in our lives as disciples of Christ. Not just as individuals, but as God's people bound together in churches. This is the clearest picture the world will see of who God is and what his will is for them. You know, in chapter 12 to 13, he shows that unity will come from a commitment to love and the ability to practice forgiveness of each other, to put others above ourselves, and to serve one another. Amen. Conflict. Guys, it's inevitable in family. I'm just glad most of you don't get to see what it looks like around the holidays with the Browns and the Marichis. Uh, it's very spirited as I'm sure comes to a shock to those of you that know us well. In our church family, our faith thought family, conflict is inevitable, and it can, only become, it can only be overcome through unconditional love, the hard work of forgiveness and reconciliation, which can only exist if we're rooted in Christ. And I know part of the COVID fog with some of us is we're not rooted in Christ. Think about what you spend time with in the course of the day. And I'm not talking about work. Work's, work's a given. we got to put a roof over our heads, food on the table, all that. But what does your time away from work look like? Where do you go? What do you watch? What do you read? And is it anything that's going to strengthen you as a Christian? Is it anything that's going to give you the ability to deepen your roots? See, this is how we'll show the greatest of Christian virtues, love, which fulfills the Torah's greatest command to love God and to love your neighbor as yourself. I'm going to close in chapter 13, verse 8. 
This is an amazing summarization to everything that Paul laid out as to our conduct, how we should live our lives, how to deal with opposition, all these different things. Paul says, Let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another. For whoever loves others has fulfilled the law. I love that. I mean, it really is a lot easier for me to work through whatever my issues are and to love any individual than it is to think through the 634 laws that were established in the Torah. I mean, just imagine trying to go through that inventory list every day. No, thank you. The commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and whatever other command there may be, See, Paul didn't even, he could have recounted all of them. He, he was an attorney for the faith back in the day with his Jews, Jewish brothers and uh, sisters. He could have walked through every single one of them. Whatever other command there is, doesn't matter. They're summed up in one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no harm to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. What an amazing few words. Love is the fulfillment of the law. You get that down, you got the rest of them down. And you know what? The world's going to look to you and see a difference in your transformed lives. The love that you have for one another will be the thing that wins others to Christ. This is the law of love. This is the church. This is the gospel made visible. Let's pray for communion. Father, thank you so much for the example that you've given us through Jesus Christ, Son of God. But God, thank you for Paul. We know Paul was a man. Paul had his shortcomings. Paul had his sin. Paul had his challenges. But what an amazing summation of what our lives can look like if we're just willing to surrender to you, make Jesus Christ Lord of our lives, and live in accordance with the way Jesus conducted himself. Not considering himself better, not considering himself a king, but seeing himself as a slave to each and every one of us so that we have the opportunity for eternity with you. Thank you for the path that he took, the three years of his ministry that culminated in a cross then in a grave, but with the most amazing thing ever, which was a transformed life, this transformation that took place as he lived a sinless life, being able to rise from the dead, knowing that death would have no hold on him. Father, help us to reflect on the verses that were read today. Help us to see the need for application in our own lives. And help us to really take a look at the past week and the sin in our lives that we can repent of as we go to this time grateful for the blood of Christ for the body of Christ. It's in Jesus' name I pray, amen. Thanks for listening to the South Bay Church Podcast. For other sermons, videos, upcoming events, and more about our church, please visit southbaychurch.us.